Hello, adorable boy disciples. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Adorable Boy Podcast. We have so much planned for you today. So many good things to get to. So many things that will entertain you. We got Frank and Beans behind the glass. How you doing, Frank and Beans? All right. We got Vito back in the studio, probably conspiring with a potato man. Um, who I mean, he called and then he hung up. We're trying to call him back, but he won't answer. Seems like he's got a bit of the cowardice. But anyway, doesn't matter. We got a lot to do here on this edition of the Adorable Boy Podcast. And uh, intern Christina, she is bringing in um, our general manager, our, our uh, PD program director. I keep saying that wrong, though. I mean, in a lot of ways, he functions like a general manager. Um, Tom, yeah, he's coming in. Have a seat, Tom. He's got a suit on, actually. It's a little bit big on him. One could say it looks like it's his father's suit, but um, I can only imagine his father is, I don't know, 150 years old because he he looks about 125 years old. But either way, Tom, he can't hear me, so don't worry. Puts the headphones on. He can barely hear me then. We love him, though. He's doing great things. He's brought a lot of great stuff to the Adorable Boy podcast. Um, speaking of which, we got another edition of Walk Into the Movies later. Christopher Walken, our, uh, the official Adorable Boy podcast movie reviewer. Or a reasonable facsimile, or you know, whatever. If whatever, we're walking to the movies. That's all that matters. All right, Tom, have a seat. How you doing, buddy? Um, you know, I, I, we haven't really talked about where you come from, like you know, your past. So, I guess the first thing I'd like to know: who are your influences in the in the broadcasting industry? Um, who do you look to? Who who did you come up watching or listening to or whatever? So many. Uh, Joe Franklin. So many. Joe Franklin. I don't know who that is, but um, great. I guess that's all. We're gonna get. Um, where are you from? Where do you come from? I can't. I, I was born in the Bronx. Grew up in the Bronx. Oh, I, I know the Bronx. I know it well. Uh, over there, Gun Hill Road, and and all that, and, and and Tremont Avenue, right? Yeah. New Yorkers always like to talk about streets. I don't know why, but they do. Um, when New York is Irish, huh, Tom? <laughs> all right. Uh, okay. So, um, how'd you get into radio or broadcasting? What was your early history in in the medium? As, as it were. And I was an actor. You know, on the side I was doing acting, I did motion pictures, uh, did a Broadway play and all that. So I was on my way to becoming, a, uh, no doubt about it, uh, a good, uh, a big time actor. Oh, okay. I like the confidence. Um, but broadcasting, are you, okay, you were in acting. How'd you get from acting to broadcasting? Did you, were you an anchor for a news station or a radio, you know, a radio station or how, how'd you, how'd you make that jump? You, uh, you, you can't make a living in acting in the beginning. It's, forget about that. Anybody who's an actor out there, you know what, and you know what I'm talking about. It's a very difficult thing. I thought you were heading for an answer there, Tom, but um, it's all about the acting, huh? Okay. Um, intern Christina, you can, you can take them out. Uh, thank you, Tom. I appreciate you coming in and stopping by. We'll have you in, you know, whenever you want to talk. It's, if it's every week, then you're more than welcome. You're a, you're a legend in the business, and you're doing great things for us. I thought maybe a samurai spirit got involved with me. Yeah, who knows, Tom? Um, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go telling people that, you know, whatever. Yet yeah, you can. Thanks, Christina. All right, Tom is on his way out. Frank and Beans, remind me if a Potato actually does call. Has if he gets the courage to call, remind me to ask him what old age home he's going to go into um, in a few years, like two or three. Because uh, maybe we can look at that for Tom. Because it's you know. Let's get, I'm not saying it's going to be tomorrow. Let's get on top of it, though. Let's be proactive. You know what I'm saying? 
All right, Tom. Great. Always great to hear from Tom. Um, so we got the business, the adorable, adorable business to attend to. Every week we fight kowtowing. Every week. How do we do it? You may ask. Well, there's only one way, and it's Cornet Tober. The boys will win the fight. Cornet kowtows in the night. I remember Cornetober this day. Cornet goes down. Adorable boys will take the crown. I remember Cornetober. All right, we have a doozy for you today on the Adorable Boy Podcast. Cornetober. Jim Cornet is kowtowing, and we are getting in his way, baby. Oh, yeah. All right, so we got some clips. Let's see. Let me get the one sheet here. Cornet's over here. Just... All right, as always, Cornet. Um, if you, if you don't know what kowtowing is, kowtowing is podcasting, but not thinking about your listeners, not thinking about ent- entertainment, just thinking about your selfish needs. Jim Cornette is a specialist at this, and he is inspiring a whole new breed of other kowtowers who we are taking down as well. Um, so that's what we do every week. We fight Cornette. We, we put his kowtowing on trial. The verdict is always guilty, and the, the, the sentence is always the destruction of his podcast. Because that's what we're doing. We're ideologically destroying his kowtowing. So how do we do that? The best way to do that is to use his own words as bullets against him. Here we go. Uh, The first clip is him talking about the personal matters of somebody that nobody knows on his wrestling podcast. Here we go. He had bad health last year. He's been trying trying to take better care of himself. He's been doing yoga. So who knows what kind of position he was in. Could have been... Oh my god! <laughs> Shooting straight down, it had gravity to assist it, and I don't know exactly what he's talking about there. It's probably sophomoric, because Jim, even though he's in his sixties, always tries to—I don't know what he tries to do—but it doesn't work, because he—I guess he tries to appeal to the younger people and, and have you know potty humor. He's not a shock jock like me. He doesn't know how to do it. He shouldn't try. Um. And again, just the boringness. No one knows who this person is. No one, I mean, I wish this, whoever this person is, all the help, all the, the good luck in the world with his health issues. But no one cares about this on your wrestling podcast, Jim. No one cares. All right, on to the next one. Um, Jim is lying and inflating his career. That is what the, the, te- the, uh, the description of this is. Here we go. I don't know. I, well, I'm, see, I'm a multimedia superstar. I'm used to doing all this Multimedia superstar, Jim. There's nothing worse than someone lying about their past or their, you know, inflating their their status. You know, you're barely anything, Jim. You know, you didn't fight the you didn't fight in the radio business like I like we did in the old days. You didn't do any of that. Yet you're trying to frame it like you're some superstar. That's a lie, Jim. You know it. And I, it, there's nothing worse than that. Nothing more pathetic than creating this narrative in your head about what you did and who you are, and it's all false. Nothing more pathetic. I, I can't imagine being that awful and that empty in life than to do that. Sickening. You're not a multimedia superstar, Jim. You had some wrestling success. Big whoop. Stop making things up. Can you, Frank and Beans, can you turn the heat uh, down, uh, the air conditioning up in the adorable boy tower? Thank you. It's, it's a little bit cold in here. Thanks, Frank and Beans. Um, all right, next... Uh, Next track is Jim doesn't have the gravitas to act, handle actual news stories. Um, I'm going to assume that you wrote this, Frankenbeans, and not Vito, because I don't think he could use the word gravitas. Yeah. All right. Anyway, here it is. I guess he's trying to uh, handle the news story. Let's see how he does. 
Louisville. His family was visiting the city of Louisville. This happened a month ago, six weeks, whatever. The daughter was playing in, oh God, some kind of sporting. Was it soccer? Was it volleyball? But she was high level. It was a tournament in town. The whole family's with her. They're walking down the fucking sidewalk downtown Louisville, middle of broad daylight. This fucking guy makes a left turn from the road he was on onto their sidewalk and runs them all over. Oh my God. Jim, this is a, a wrestling podcast, first of all. And let's let's forget about that for a second. We'll go back to that. But first of all, if you're gonna try and do a news story, you don't know that you don't know the name of the people. Well, you wouldn't say the name anyway, so I get that. You don't know what they were playing, you don't know when it happened. It's all vagaries. No one knows what you're talking about, Jim. And you're not giving anything. You're not giving you're not reporting. You're speculating. Any any person in a coffee shop can do that, Jim. You're a broadcaster, I, though a one of lower stature. I guess you are considered a broadcaster. You have a responsibility to get the, the information right. And there you do, go playing fast and loose with the facts that you don't know about. Sickening. Um, and now let's go back to the fact that you're supposed to be a wrestling podcast, and yet you're talking about a news story in Kentucky. And, of course, you're kowtowing co-hosts. Oh, oh my, oh. And the third part is you're going to try and deliver news stories and you're going to use curses in the middle of them. You couldn't be any worse, Jim. You're destroying broadcasting. Well, you're trying to destroy podcasting. You're trying to destroy broadcasting. You're trying to destroy news. You're trying to destroy because that's what people like you do. And I'm sick of it. All right, next one. Um, well, this is this is labeled. Well, you know what? I'm not even going to say it. I'll just play it. Here we go. Jim Coynette podcast clip four. On the Adorable Boy podcast, fighting, kowtowing in all its forms. Here we go. Well, I don't talk to anybody except you, Brian. I ain't got time. What a what a terrible life this guy leads. I after coronavirus, I guess he just shut himself in his house. Pathetic. Oh, I mean, I guess we see why he kowtows. He he hates his life. Why wouldn't you? Stuck in. He's one of those people who who probably loved coronavirus because it gave him him an excuse. To not leave his house and to be pathetic and to not live his life. Jim, I'm honestly, and I know that doesn't seem like that to you. I'm help, trying to help you as much as I'm trying to help podcasting here. Because you're not happy as a cow tower. I'm trying to liberate you and all I get is grief. But then I get the, the, the cheers and the encouragement and the, and the love of the adorable boy disciples. And that's what makes this worth it, Jim. Don't talk to anyone. Don't go out. Don't live your life, huh, Jim? That's what you want to do. Ugh. All right. Now here, Jim, uh, again, tries to appeal to the uh, younger generations. We need to just put the screenshot of Randy Marsh from South Park at his computer screen. Uh, the famous one uh, up for that uh, that clip. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, the, 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 the famous one the, the up for, the, for the, the, that clip. Jim, you don't, Jim, and I'm, I'm guessing you pay people to give you notes on your podcast, and they said you need to, you know, uh, relate to the younger generation more. That's what they probably said. What they should have said is you need, to, you need to stop kowtowing or stop podcasting. And I don't think you can stop kowtowing, so just stop podcasting. But anyway, he goes, there's no, re he just wanted to bring up a pop culture name, Randy Marsh, who again, I mean, let's be honest, People know about him, but he's not exactly the height of pop culture. Maybe he was 15 years ago. Maybe that's a relevant reference 15 years ago, Jim. But not today. Stop trying to be relevant. Just be yourself. Your kowtowing is, is awful. And your co-host is, oh, boy, whatever he said. You stink, Jim. Your thoughts go nowhere. Your sentences go nowhere. Your podcast goes nowhere. 
All right, last clip. Um, and Jim Ra Jim Cornette engaging in some hacky behavior. Good. Uh, let me wish a premature, <laughs> a different kind of premature, happy birthday to the lovely and talented. All right, I uh, I I blacked out the name there because who who needs it? You know, we don't need that. Um, I wouldn't want any. I wouldn't want to ever be associated with Cornette, so I don't think anyone else would either. But what a hack radio thing to do. Wish birthday. Come on, Jim. Haven't we progressed past that? People don't tune into your wrestling podcast to hear you wish someone happy birthday. Awful. Just awful. Oh, man. I feel so dirty, just like I always do after, after this garbage. But anyway, we're done. We fought the kowtowing for the day. Now we start the recuperation, and we start the recuperation, recuperation with cornet popery, which is a, lit, a litany of the stupid things he said, uh, put together, no context, just for fun, uh, on his podcast. So here we go, Cornette Popery. Premature projectile ejaculation. The oculist. Premature projectile ejaculation. 10-4, Roger, Captain Over. Dog-friendly. The hydrocodone. We're, in, we're inviting all the dogs, but none of the people. Run him off. Swimming with piranhas. Fall of communism. All right, there you have it. The job is done. Another week. Another battle against kowtowing. Another victory for the Adorable Boy Podcast. That is the end of this week's Cornettober. The boys will win the fight. Cornet kowtows in the night. I remember Cornettober this day. Cornet goes down. Adorable boys will take the crown. I remember Cornettober. All right, one more thing to to heal from the from the battle that is Cornettober from the fight against kowtowing. We need one more thing to refresh in our soul, so that we can get into the entertainment of the Adorable Boy podcast. We need to be inspired, Adorable Boy disciples. We need to be we need to be inspired, and there is only one man who can do it. John Cena's inspiring tweet of the week. John Cena's inspiring tweet of the week. It will inspire you. He will inspire you because he's John Cena. And this is his inspiring tweet of the week. John Cena will inspire you with his tweets. Yes. The angel of a man, John Cena, has come to inspire us. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so ready to shake off the the, cow, the dirt of the kowtowing and embrace quality podcasting content for all that it is. And John Cena helps us do that. And let's, let's, so let's just talk. Let's get into it. Let's talk about John Cena's inspiring tweet of the week. And here we go. Recognize greatness in others. Never monopolize achievement. Be a vehicle to bring out the best in everyone, even those deemed your opposition. It will bravely bravely lead you to an honest place of who you are, where you stand, and what hill is next to climb. Just, I am blown away by how much this applies to the Adorable Boy podcast. See, you know, we, we, we recognize greatness in others when we see it. We're positive, we're a positive podcast. What we, a lot of people don't like that when people aren't great, we also call them out on that. Um... We do bring out the best in everyone, 
even the people who are opposition. I mean, that guy, Potato, he never has been so inspired in his life. He's completely obsessed with us. But then again, he's scared to answer the phone when I call him. When or when he calls us and then whatever the heck it is, he's scared to actually come on the air. Um, I mean, I'm not going to destroy him. I'm just going to teach him. I do bring out the best in everyone. That's just what I do. That's what the adorable boys do. Um, and it's led us to an honest place of who we are, where we stand in podcasting as the, the defenders of the Chase Lady podcasting and what the next hill to climb is. And that, that's why we got a, a PD here, Tom, for however long he... He serves as PD, you know, whatever, however long he, well, we don't want to go there. But anyway, um, that's how, it, you know, we're always looking to be better, always looking to improve. We're never as good as we're going to be. And that mindset really keeps us focused and it keeps us our eye on the goal. And, um, you know, that we've been inspired by this tweet and it's just affirming who we are, really. It's like it's talking directly to us. And I just think that's great. John Cena, thank you for being the inspirational figure that you are. Thank you for inspiring us weekly with your tweets. And thank you for letting us, helping us to get over the, the dirt of uh, the war on kowtowing. Thank you, John Cena, for inspiring us as only you can do on the Adorable Boy Podcast. John Cena's inspiring tweet of the week. John Cena's inspiring tweet of the week. It will inspire you he will inspire you because he's john cena and this is his expiring tweet of the week john cena will inspire you with his tweets all right adorable boy disciples we are headed for a break um thank you for joining us on this episode of the adorable boy podcast we have so much more to get to uh, we're going to go walk into the movies. We're going to do so much more. I think we got a few members of the crazy crew want to stop by. They're more than welcome to um, to head in. They're not out on the bleachers yet. I don't know if they're coming or whatever, but Frank and Bean says they're supposed to be coming. You never know with the crazy crew. Um, let's see. Anything else we got to do before break? You know, that seems like a uh, pretty good place to stop. Um, we got so much more coming up for you here on the Adorable Boy Podcast. Uh, get in touch with us. Uh Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitter is at Adorable Podcast, um, AOL keyword, Adorable Podcast, Parlor, uh, Locals, all that stuff, get in touch with us, email us at adorablepodcast at gmail.com. All right, this is the Adorable Boy Podcast, and we will be back after this. and goyles it's your boy Vito the vegan guido and i'm here to ask you if you like to play polka with the best of them do you like to go all in when you got aces up and you're playing a single shooter do you like to make a back raise after a barrel on a bad beat when your bankroll is bonkers or are you the kind of player who makes a big bet on a big blind when you've got a handful of blanks and you're bluffing in a big blocker 
Do you drop on the flop when there's a rainbow rag with four on the floor? Well, if so, then you should come down to Vito the Vegan Guido's illegal poker club. Every night, degenerates from throughout the county come to spend their rent money on their horrible addiction. And guess what? Vito's finally cashing in on it. Come plays with a team of dealers that consists of swarthy teenagers, ex-cons, and rabid alcoholics. We're located right above the Olive Garden, so after you lose, you can search the dumpster for dinner. But make it vegan! So come on down to Vito's Illegal Poker Game, and remember, yous can pay your mortgage. But yous don't have to! Get it? That's, that's like my line that I say. Jason Robert Brown wrote a wrote a, um, a score for this thing. It's great, and we're doing it at the uh, Paper Mill Playhouse in uh, in New Jersey. Thursday night's the first preview, and then uh, open October sixth. Broadway Bound is the is uh-huh. the, that's what you're going know, for, the, right? Uh, the whole how so, much bro- how much have you done acting, stage acting, a lot of it over the years? Or is it- Now's the perfect time, and the season is just right. You can play all day and dance into the night. At beautiful This is Jack Nicholson, and you're listening to the Adorable Boy Podcast. I'm Jack Nicholson. It's me. I've been in movies. Jack Nicholson. Thanks, Jack. It's always nice to hear from our celebrity fans. All right, moving right along on the Adorable Boy Podcast. Um... Let's see. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, our new program director um, brought us a whole bunch of great things, great ideas, great processes. Uh, and one thing he landed us here is a celebrity movie reviewer. We debuted this bit last week on the podcast, Rave Reviews. Everyone loves it. So uh, I think now is the, the, the best time to go walk in to the movies. I'm walking, here the thing and I'm talking, by you and me, I'm hoping that you come back to me. With me, Christopher Walken. As I can be, I'm waiting for your company, I'm hoping that you come back to me. We're walking to the movies. What you gonna do in a well run drive? You gonna run away gonna watch a movie. I'm gonna run right by you. Christopher Walken. Hi, this is Christopher Walken for the Adorable Boy Podcast. I'm on location on a boat. Today I'll be reviewing the movie Titanic, the 1997 romance directed by James Cameron, starring Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. Now this was a big blockbuster movie, but I didn't like it much. I thought it was kind of boring. I mean, the boat goes down, we all know. But the special effects were great. I wouldn't recommend sitting through the whole thing. Maybe watch some highlights on the YouTube. Titanic gets a big 5 out of 10 from Christopher Walken on Walken to the Movies, the adorable boy podcast, yeah. I'm 
Thank you, Christopher Walken, on the Adorable Boy podcast. Sounds great. Love it. Love the movie review. I actually feel the same way about that movie. Never a big fan. Just don't care. Moving right along on the Adorable Boy podcast. Had a big charity thing the other night. Uh, a lot of fun. Saw a lot of people I hadn't seen in a long time from my uh, terrestrial radio days. Some are doing great. Some aren't. Um, I got one friend who's dealing with a family member who just doesn't have the motivation to do anything. They never. He's, he's telling me they never really did anything in their life. And... Um, now they're in their 50s, almost 60s, and they're just floundering and just caught in a in a, in a cycle of their own hatred, which is sad, you know? And I think we all know people like that. Um, maybe I'll open uh, – Frank and Beans, clear the phones. I want some calls on this subject, okay? I'm sure they'll come in quick. Um, I think we all know people like that, you know? And it's, it's tough. He wanted me to help because I'm quite a motivator, as everyone knows. He wanted me to help um, – see if I knew what to do or see if I could help him in any way. And, you know, I, I gave him some advice. I don't know if it'll work. Some people, they, they use crutches. You know what I mean? They, they say they can't help themselves. They say they can't, whatever it is, get a job, quit, you know, drugs, quit alcohol, whatever it is, whatever their vice is, uh, well, you know, and often the vice is sloth, laziness, you know? Um, they say they can't, but it's just really a crutch because they don't want to. They're scared of life. They don't want to go out there and live life. So they insulate themselves, they play, you know, pool and, and poker, but they say they can't get a job and then they're, they live off the, you know, government or other family members. In this case, it's a family member on my friend. Um, and just dealing with that, you know, I think it's, I like to be relatable here on the Adorable Boy podcast. I think that's something that a lot of people deal with, these, you know, black hole of human beings. And they're not bad people, they're just scared. It's a real thing. And that's kind of the, the, the message I was giving to my friend that, you know, you have to understand the person before you can help them and to understand them. They're scared. They don't, they're, they're scared that they can't hack it in life. So they don't ever do anything. And they create this cocoon for themselves that they're scared to break. And as they stay in that cocoon, their bitterness increases. And it's just a terrible situation until unfortunately, many of these people just die, you know, in, in this cocoon of bitterness. And it's sad. Um, I just want, you know, it's, it's relatable. I know we got calls right now. Uh, you want to take one Frank and means? Yeah. Okay. It's line two. It's, uh, Edward from Illinois. Edward from Illinois. What, uh, what do you got to say there, buddy? Oh, hey, hey there. Love the show. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, no problem, Ed. What, uh, what do you got? Well, yeah, I got one of these brothers and, uh, he's just been floundering. He never really done nothing. So we convinced him that, uh, he has to take care of my mom. So he should stay home with her. But really, he has no other options. Um, and he's just, I love him, but he's just draining me. No, yeah, I get it, Ed. Um, these people can be very draining, you know. Uh, it's nice that you kind of um, softened it up and told, you know, gave him a purpose, which is good. Maybe he really feels like he is taking care of your mom. Um, and that's good. Uh, do, do you want, I mean, do you think he should get a job? Can he handle a job? I don't know. He hadn't had a job in a long time. Um, 
I don't know if he could handle one, but I think he should do something with his life because he's he's almost sixty. He's he's busy. He doesn't do anything. He plays pool like you like you said. Same thing. He plays pool all the time. And tell him if you can play pool, you can get a job. But he don't listen. That's, you can cut him off, Frankie Means. It is tough, you know. Um, Ed, you have my sympathy. Um, I hope you can convince uh, your brother to that to live his life, to stop being a bystander and making it making him bitter. Because I assume he's bitter. He'd have to be, you know. You would. Ha- I don't see any other way around it. If he's not a, an adorable boy, side, but tell him to give us a listen. Maybe it'll improve his outlook on life. You know, no one can be happy having such an empty life. You know what I mean? So, all right. I, we only had time for one call. That's a good one, though. It really hit what I was talking about on the nose. Coincidence, huh? Um, all right. Let's see. What do we have next on the Adorable Boy Podcast? Okay, yes. This is... Uh, I usually don't reference the name of the episode in the episode, but this time I feel like I have to. Um, I've been reading the Communist Manifesto live on the Adorable Boy on the Adorable Boy podcast just to show what idiocy it is. Um, but actually, it's worse than I thought. I've I've probably read the Communist Manifesto, I don't know, twenty times, probably just over and over again, chapter by chapter, um, just because I wanted to. You know, I, I wanted to read it to know to know what it was, to be educated on it, you know. And recently I've been listening to other podcasts talk about Marx. There's one really good one. It's called uh, New Discourse or New Discourses by a guy named James Lindsay. He's pretty famous. He's been on the Rogan podcast. Um, very, very great and insightful stuff. And it actually, it, it taught me a lot and it pointed me to other places where I could find out a lot. And as it happens, I was completely correct the best way to refute Marx is with his own words. Just look at them. Um, so I've been doing that. I've been listening to New Discourse podcast. Very good. So some of this information I learned from that. Um, and some I I then looked up the works that he was citing and learned myself uh, from just from Marx's words. And then you go to Marxist. There's a Marxist website, Marxist.org or something, where you can get their definitions for stuff. And that's a really – if you want to fight Marxism, just – Look at their, their definitions of things. Um, so I, I, we're going to read a little bit from the Communist Manifesto, but I want to give you some background because I'm way more... I have my theories and my views way more fleshed out now. Um, to, to talk about Marx, we have to talk about a guy named uh, Hegel. Marx was uh, very much inspired, in, influenced, we'll say, by this guy, uh, Grigor Wilhelm Hegel. It, he's from Germany, and it seems like every German bef- born before 1900 has Wilhelm in their name. Probably the men and the women. I don't know. But, um, yeah, Marx was influenced by this guy, Hegel. Hegel had an interesting, stupid philosophy um, that employed the use of the dialectic. He didn't create the dialectic. And I'll explain what the dialectic is. But he didn't create it. I, I, I'm not very educated on Kant, but I'm pretty sure Kant talked about the dialectic. Um, but Hegel is often associated with the dialectic. The dialectic is, um, it's this view that Hegel had and, and other people have had that, uh, of how the world works, basically. So Hegel would have used different terms, but in, just to help you understand a little better, I'll simplify it by the dialectic is always is in triads, three things, a lot like the Trinity. And the three parts of the dialectic are the thesis, which is the thing. 
the antithesis or antithesis, which is the opposite of the thing, and then synthesis. So Hegel's in, in Hegel's view, everything alive is is one of is a thesis being acted on by an antithesis, a, antithesis, antithesis, and become and synthesizing into something else. So a good example to kind of understand is you take an egg. You know, it's oval, it's white, it's got a shell, it's an egg. That's the thesis. That is a thing. The antithesis and antithesis of the egg is the breaking of the of the breaking of the egg, the breaking of the shell. Um, so that's the thesis, the egg being acted on by the breaking, the the opposite of the egg, which would be no egg. And the synthesis of that would be the chicken that hatches. So that's the new thing. So then that that synthesis now becomes a thesis. So you have the thesis of the chicken. You can you can extrapolate this. The thesis is a chicken. The antithesis antithesis. I keep stumbling over that. Um, uh, the antithesis of the chicken is the antith- is is something that's not living because the chicken is alive. Um, so life, the antithesis, life works on the chicken to form the next synthesis, which is a chicken body, a, a dead chicken. Again, now the dead chicken is the thesis. Um, the antithesis, antithesis is the decomposition. The thesis is all of the things that made up the chicken, all of the atoms going back into the earth. And then you can even go further on each atom with, in this way, in this dialectic way. Uh, so that's the dialectic and that heavily influenced Marx. Um, so Hegel, and just to finish off on him, um, Hegel was also known as an idealist. So Hegel's view of uh, of the supreme being, say God, Hegel said there's an absolute, and that is God, and this absolute is just marching through history and everything that's happening in the in the dialectical method, thesis, antithesis, and um, synthesis. Uh, everything that's happening continues and moves this guy forward, and he says that like he moves almost like the sun, where you can't necessarily see it move, but you look look away and look back, and he's and he's somewhere else. Um, so that's how this absolute moves through history. And it's all going towards this goal of that absolute, which created nature, which nature in turn created man. And that's going to be an important uh, thing when understanding Marx, too. You have to understand this this thing of Hegel thought that this absolute created nature, which created man. So according to Hegel, and you know what, if I'm wrong, I, I'm pretty sure I understand this well. If I'm wrong, someone can correct me. Um but this absolute will eventually, all the contradictions will be gone. And this absolute will realize that it is one with the nature and the man that it created. And that will be the end of time. And that will be a utopia, basically. That's Hegel. That's his idealism, that the world is going to be perfect. Um, that's, his, that's how he sees God. God isn't, as a Christian God, which is, Hegel's God is always becoming until it does become and then everything ends, and it's utopia. History, and in the New Discourse podcast, he, he has a really clever way of um, talking about history according to Hegel and Marx with the capital H, basically their history. So in, in Hegel's view, history will end, and the utopia will be around. I don't know much more in-depth than that. I know that raises a lot of questions about Hegel's theory, but it's really all we need to know. That and the fact that w- within Hegel's theory, uh, if you want to change things, you have to destroy them to synthesize something better. And that's Marx's, basically Marx's dialectical materialism, which 
You'll hear every march just scream from the mountaintops, dialectical material. Blah, blah, blah. So really, though, we, we must destroy what is to get to this utopia of socialist man uh, and, and what could be. And this socialist man is an actual concept in Marx. It's it's when me, it's a, it's men who you know people, women too, I'm sure. Um, people who who understand what he's saying and accept what he's saying, his theory, and then when everyone is that, it'll be a utopia. It seems pretty mystical to me. Um, so I don't know how much Marx rejects Hegel's idealism and mysticism. So now that we got through Hegel, just a very, very short little thing, what you need to know here. Um, we'll get to Marx. And if you, if someone had told me, you know, a week ago or two weeks ago, a month ago, that Marxism is a religion, I'd be like, oh, yeah. I'd give him a pat on the back and the old adorable boy smile and we'd be on their way and they would be happy and I'd be happy and whatever. But what I, you know, because I, I assumed, yeah, you know, people look to it religiously. Not that it's an actual religion, but people look to it religiously. But, you know, this podcast, New Discourses, and reading some of um, Marx's 1844 writings in, that he wrote in Paris, um, so I think it's called the Philosophic and um, Economic Manuscript or something. He wrote them in Paris in 1844. Um, reading that, I mean, it, Marxism is a religion. So, as I said with Hegel, how he viewed creation, basically, was the absolute created nature which created man— Marx, admittedly, in, in his own words, flipped it up on its head. So in Marx's view, man created nature, which creates the absolute. That's basically... So in Marx's theory, you know, I'm skipping things here, but in Marxism, the goal is to get to socialist man, where there are no classes, there aren't... There is... Your work is your work. Um, that's the goal. That's the absolute for Marx. And we'll be living there... And apparently in this utopia, again, seems pretty mystical to me, but um, but Marx believes that man created nature and man creates the absolute. So in Marx's religion, the God is man. And there are very many analogous things in Marxism that you can just draw a straight line to something in Christianity. And probably other religions, I'm just more familiar with Christianity. Um, so, so we'll go with man is God. So then... Um, the fall from grace in, in Christianity and, and uh, Judaism, too, was Adam and Eve in the garden. For Marx, the fall from grace is was when the division of labor happened, which was when man no longer... I guess there was some, and I don't know, someone probably would know this, to Marx, there was a time where man worked for what he needed and he lived in this garden, basically, um, where he had everything he needed and his work gave him what he needed. The fall... The Adam and Eve type like fall was when one guy said, hey, if you do this for me, I'll give you this. As soon as someone worked for someone else in exchange for something, that's that's where Marx saw the fall of man. That's when the, the, the socialism died. That's when the classes started. That's when the exploitation started, in his view. So we have the fall of man in Christianity, the apple, fall of man in Marxism, division of labor. Um, and we'll, we'll have to define work according to Marx is what you do. So work is good. According to Marx, work is, work is like a sacrament. Another analogous thing to Christianity. Um, work is what you do to stay alive, to get, to get your needs met. Um, labor is when someone exploits you and you work for them and they, they compensate you with something of value, money, whatever. 
Um, and and social man is really like a born again, really someone who 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 accepted the saving grace of of Marxism of this socialist religion of this of this Marxist religion. Um, they're they're kind of born again, right? Because they 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 now know the absolute truth. And when every man becomes socialist man, when every man knows the absolute truth, what what Marx is saying, then the world will be in utopia. There will be there will be no more. No more problems, no more exploitation, no more suffering, apparently. The New Discourse podcast, uh, James Lindsay, goes more into that. He understands it a lot more than I do. I'm sure he studied it a lot more than I have. Um, so I'm not really – that. really that's what we need to know uh, of how Marxism is a religion. And then we'll also add on that if you aren't this socialist man, well, I mean, then you're a demon, basically. And what do you do with the demon? You kill it if you can, right? And, and that's that's the – that's the the impetus for all of the genocide that we've probably ever seen. I would think um, these people are are destroying our chance to get to where we need to get to. They should be wiped off the face of the earth. That's it. That's collectivism. Their rights don't matter. We we're working towards something, and they're getting in the way. So I mean, the Soviets, what they did was they sent you to the gulag and try to educate you, and if you couldn't be educated, you were killed. Mao did the same thing. Any, any tyrant, basically, did the same thing. It's collectivism. So I think it was two episodes ago when the last time I talked about uh, when we read from the Communist Manifesto. And I told you, Marx needed enemies. So he created, he, he made the bourgeoisie the enemies, the, the people who were dividing the labor. He needed them. They're the demons in, in his religion. And they must be stopped. And Marx, I mean, it's, it's quite well documented that he a new violence would, would would be the way to stop them. Um, so in that way, that is how Marxism is a lot worse than I thought, than even I thought. And I'm no fan of Marxism, as you all know. Now we know it's it's actually a religion. Um, God is man. The man is the God. God is the man, whatever. We're all working towards some kind of utopia where every man is a socialist man and there are no classes and everyone has what they need. But, you know, I have a few questions and we may have time to read from the manifesto a little bit. We may not. But this is very important to go along in our studies because we need to understand these things. Um, my question is, OK, so you according to Marx, if you work for anyone else and, and accept compensation for that work, that's if, if that is happening anywhere on the planet, then true socialist utopia doesn't exist. And that needs to be stopped. But. Okay, so in this utopia, if I get sick, no one in my family has any kind of doctoral education. There are no more educational institutions, I wouldn't think, because, I mean, I guess maybe there is. But either way, what? let's just say this specific situation. I'm sick. No one in my family is a doctor. I can't hire a doctor because that would be exploiting them. That can't happen. I guess someone could come over by their own generosity, and that might happen, but... I mean, how, how do we get the instruments? How do we get the... If I'm a person and I can't pay someone for things, how do I get a hospital bed? How do I get insulin if I need that? How do I get any of these things that I can't make? Because not everyone can make these things. Because when we do have a division of labor, some people make food, other people make medicine. The people who make medicine get their food from the food makers. The people who make food get their medicine from the medicine makers. It kind of works. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm being very naive. But I just don't see how in this socialist utopia this would work. And 
you know, the, the, again, the new discourse podcast went into this and Mark seems even more mystical than I've explained here, but I'm not too sure about that. So I'm not going to mention it, but in practicality, if he's making this socialist utopia, how, how is, how is it going to be any innovation? How are things going to be made? If I don't have the materials, every material, if I can't gather up every material I need to make a car, how do I have a car? Never mind the know-how to build a car. Who would have who would have come up with the car? It doesn't make any sense, um, and it's ridiculous. But again, Marxism rarely has to make sense. I found while reading his um, his manuscript is is economical the the nineteen forty four Paris Papers. I don't, they call it a whole bunch of different things. I found quite a quote, um, and it uh, it basically sums up all the Marx, not only Marx, but you know modern thinking and, and modern thinking of of the woke or who you know whoever. Um, so. If, if there's one thing that I want you to take away from this discussion and, and me telling you how Marxism is worse than I thought because it is a religion, um, I want you to take away this. And here, uh, right here, first of all, I have to um, give a Marxist, and I got this from Marxist.org, a definition of the abstract because he uses this. The definition I found is, um, it says, the abstract in this kind of context, very frequently used in Marx, assumes the meaning of the simple, undeveloped, one-sided, fragmentary, pure. So simple, we'll say. That's what abstract means. Okay, now I'm going to read you this other thing. And this quote specifically, there's a very famous um, Christian philosopher, and I forget his name, sorry. But this quote, he, this philosopher used to illustrate how, I think he called him an intellectual swindler. And they talk about this on the New Discourse podcast, and I found it in the writing here. Um, so here we go. So the context of this is, Marx is basically um, giving his theory for how the world started, how I said before, man creates nature, nature creates the absolute. Um, and he's saying, he's, he's anticipating someone asking him, well, where did the first man come from? Which is a reasonable question. One that no atheist, no one, no one I know can answer. Not that that's shameful. We just can't answer it. I mean, I believe God created him, but whatever. If you're an atheist and you don't believe that, but you don't know, that's great. You know, that's your, that's your thinking. I'm sure you have some kind of theory for it, but whatever. All right, so this is him considering that question. It starts out, who begot my father, who his grandfather, etc. You must hold on to the circular movement sensuously perceptible in that progress by which man repeats himself in procreation, man thus always remaining the subject. So he, he's so wordy. It's terrible. Um, so saying, okay, you asked me who, if, if I was, who made me and who made, and who made him and who made him. Um, and then he says, you'll ask this question until you get to who begot the first man and nature as a whole. I can only answer you. Your question it's, is itself a product of abstraction. That's simple thinking by Marx's own definition. So he's saying, you're asking me to clarify the, my theory, which rests on this thing of, of, of man creating everything. And you're asking me who created the first man. And he's saying that's simple thinking. And then what he says is, um, I can only answer you. Your question is self-product of, of abstraction. Ask yourself how you arrived at that question. Ask yourself whether your question is not posed from a standpoint to which I cannot reply because it is wrongly put. He's saying, I can't reply to that because you're not asking the right question. That's marks for you. Ask yourself whether that progress as such exists for a reasonable mind. So he's saying, you can ask me that question. Ask me why you're asking me a question that I can't answer. And if a reasonable person would ask me that question. I think so, but um, whatever. When you ask about the creation and nature, this is back to Marx. When you ask about the creation and nature of, of nature and man, you are abstracting. 
So you're being simple uh, for asking him that question that his whole theory rests on. Uh, let's see, where was I? You postulate them as non-existent, and yet you want me to prove them to you as existing. Now I say to you, give up your abstraction. Give up your simple thinking, is what he's saying. Uh, and you will also give up your question. Or if you want to hold on to your abstraction, then be consistent. And if you think of man and nature as non-existent, then think of yourself as non-existent. For you two are surely nature and man. Don't think, don't, here it is. Here's the really important part. Don't think, don't ask me. Don't think, is what he's telling you. Don't think, and don't question me. And he goes uh, back to Marx. For as soon as you think and ask, your abstraction from the existence of nature and man has no meaning. Or are you such an egotist that you conceive everything as nothing and yet want yourself to exist? Can you imagine reading this garbage and, and then saying, no, I, I like that guy's theories. Because what he's saying is saying, man created nature, nature creates the absolute, we create the absolute, we create it all. Okay, so where did the first man come from if man creates nature? I mean... It's the same question of God. Where did God come from? We don't know. But I'll tell you that. And I'll tell you my Christianity, my belief in God, though I wholeheartedly believe it, I have no logical basis for it. It's not logical based on, on the world and natural observation. I still believe it. I believe with everything I am and I will tell you it's true, but I will not try to prove it to you in any in any scientific way. It's, 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 it's impossible. I realize that. It's not reasonable for me to believe in God as I believe him, but I do because I think I'm thinking that there's a higher level. I'm not using reason when believing in God. I mean, in a way I am, but not in a way that I could prove to you or anyone. So I realize that. I realize the limitation of that. I realize I believe in God with everything. I, I know he exists. That's what I'll tell you. I know he exists. I know he's loving. I know he, he will be there for us in the end. I know that. I can't prove it to you in any scientific way. I will never say that I can. What Marx is saying is, if you're asking me that question on which my theory hinges, you're being simple-minded, you're trying to catch me, and you should stop. Don't think about it. Don't question me. Or are you so are you so deluded? Are you so um, conceited to ask me how you exist when you are yourself existing? Are you saying that you don't exist? That's what he's saying. That's what Marx is saying. He's saying he's he's evading the question. It is complete intellectual fraud. It's 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 illogical to the highest degree. And it's I, I can't imagine. I, most Marxists today haven't read that, I'm sure. Even the so-called learned ones. And I'd love, I, I mean, I, I haven't found the the re rebuttal from a Marxist about the, because the, I'm obviously I'm not the first one to criticize this. Um, I haven't found any rebuttals to the criticism, but I'm going to look because I really want to know what they say. But it'll be garbage. We all know that. Marxists don't think. We know that. Well, we got a lot done there. And maybe we'll just continue reading the manifesto next week because we really needed to get that um, out there. And it'll really help us understand the comment, Marx's writing. Because, I, you know, I don't think I really understood his, his distinction between labor and work. Um, and and his, his religious view that, you know, the fall of man was the, the um, division of labor. The you know completely nonsensical view, but whatever. So there we have it. We learned a lot. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. He's just a Marxy boy, you know, on the Adorable Boy podcast. That's that's the name of this, in case you don't know. Um, he's just a Marxy boy. We're gonna, we got to get some production for that. Where what are they doing? Franken means we really need that. Okay, well we'll get it. We got a great uh, production piece for the intro and an outro to He's Just a Marxy Boy. I, you could probably guess if you. Oh, well, maybe you can. I don't know. 
I think you'll like it. Um, oh, one more thing. I kind of wanted to, because again, I would always hear that um, BLM and all those kinds of things are Marxist. And I accepted it because, you know, I, I knew Marx's view on the state um, being the, the caregiver. being They're supposed to raise their, you know, uh, children. But I never really went deeper than that. And that is true. BLM and, and all these these organizations that want to lessen or completely eliminate the role of the family, it's Marxist. It's And again, you, it goes back further than that, I'm sure. But Marxist is, you know, we'll, we'll assign it to that. Um but then there's also it, it, I've I've realized anywhere because listen to the Marx's answer to that question of who who made the first man where did he come from? Any time now where someone is telling you that what's happening isn't what's happening, they're taking it directly from this playbook of Marx and the dialectic, and you'll even find that word in their literature a lot of times, um, critical race theory and all that stuff. You'll look through it. A lot of the works mention the dialectic. The dialectic is a is a terrible view where you must where where the negative negative thinking negative actions actually produce positive results, which is they think. And this is a, another concept in one of the new discourse podcasts that I I, I kind of developed that I heard and developed my own thoughts on. Um, they think that you attack something with negative, 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 and in the end you're going to get something positive. It's it's illogical it's stupid it's crazy really that's what it is and that's his critical race theory it's 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 destroy the culture to make something better i i'd, I'd love a, a time when this worked i mean you could i guess you could assign the um american revolution to to this but really they didn't destroy the british they just got them out of here they they destroyed british rule on america i guess you could say that but british rule in america was was oppressing rights. That's actually, I'm, I'm completely wrong there because it wasn't negative thoughts. It was the, the positive thoughts that men are free and they shouldn't be, they should be recognized as individual. That's, it wasn't negative. That's exactly, it proved my point that it, the negative doesn't work. Yeah, they had to go to war and that's terrible and all that. But the idea, the ideals of the country they founded, America, were, were perfect. They were, they were recognizing people's God-given rights. Above all else, the, the state doesn't go above the individual. Never. So, uh, so that isn't again. That is how it is actually done, and it isn't easy, and it's it's difficult, and it's tough, and it can be violent sometimes. Doesn't have to be, but it often is. But it, let's say the United States wanted to wanted to destroy England because of what they, that is more akin to the negative thoughts acting on on something to change it. And that's not, it doesn't work. It's, 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 someone give me a time when it has, please. But I'm sure they could make that argument or something. I, I would like a, 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 an example of, of negative actions, negative thoughts, negative words, destroying something and then creating something better in its place. Because, I mean, l let's look at examples of that happening. The Bolshevik, Bolshevik Revolution. The, the monarchy in Russia, they were a constant war. They didn't want to be constant war. They were mad. They wanted something better than the king. The Bolsheviks came in, destroyed the king. They were the antithesis in this situation. And the synthesis was the Soviet Union. And how did that work out? You can't destroy that. And that is the heart of, of, of the problem with, with the wokeness and with the canceling and, and with Marxism. It's you can't get something positive 
by by attack by by destroying something negatively with negative with with negativeness basically with you know destroying people's rights and all that you can't get something positive that's the, their dialectic is we have this thing it's not perfect we completely destroy it yet we kind of preserve it and in the podcast it's called Alfhaben der Culture der Culture um Alfhaben is a german word uh, again new discourse podcast i highly recommend it um uh, this is where I got this concept. Alphaben is a German word for destroy but maintain. So what they want to do is is take what we have, as imperfect as it is, completely destroy it, and get something better on the other side. Doesn't work like that. The, and and I question their motivation. Even they want something better for themselves. I'm sure they're all grabbing for this piece of leadership in this new world. But I mean, we all know how that works. Let's ask Trotsky how that works. Or, or any of the number of Soviet people who, who Stalin exiled or killed. It's that, let's question that. So that's why this is relevant. This, the, the, stor- the, the study of Marxism is even more relevant now than it's ever been, I think. Or at least as relevant as, as it's ever been. And that's why, you know, I, I'm not sure I understood that either, too, either when we were beginning um, to read the Communist Manifesto. They're using the dialectic, you know, discussed by Hegel, discussed by Marx. They're using that to destroy. So we, we need to know what they do. We need to know what they've done. We need to study this stuff. We need to know it if we're going to fight it. Because it is happening. The, 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 the negative forces, the evil forces are working on what is and trying to destroy it. Saying there's going to be something good on the other side in the synthesis. But there won't be. Because that's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. Make positive change. And, and again, that's another buzzword they'll always use, the evil. But really, positive change coming change comes from learning and, and really understanding. You know, racism is a bad thing and it, and it should end. But you don't end it by attacking everyone else. You know, we've, we've done, a, I think, the civil rights movement. You know, and I'm sure there was some of this going on then. I'm, I know there was. But, but the, the, the ideals of Martin Luther King where... You know, we we don't want to enslave anyone. We don't want to make make the U.S. a country where whites are second or anyone else is second class citizens. We want to make everyone equal, and that was that's the good. That's good change, and it's not easy. But what is easy is to say everything is terrible and destroy it and hope the thing on the other side comes out better. It doesn't. It won't. It never has. So there we go. I thought I ended about ten minutes ago, but you know we had to get on that because that's kind of the purpose. It's interesting that I forgot that. All right, that's it. Summary. So that's he's just a Marxy boy. I'm really ending it this time. I'm honestly doing it. That was the last thing I have. Um, and this is as good of a place as ever to go to a commercial. This is the Adorable Boy Podcast. Uh, get in touch with us. Why not? At Adorable Podcast on Twitter. Uh, Adorable Boy Podcast on Instagram, Parlor, Locals, everything. Email. Adorablepodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, let's go. Let's hit, hit the break, Frank and Beans, and we will be back on the Adorable Boy podcast after these words. This fall, you'll find out that the law has a heart. Are you going to have to testify? But, but I'm scared. I know it's been stressful. I'll do my best. 
Okay, while you're doing that, I need to sharpen a pencil for you. I'm scared. Um, are you gonna do anything but sharpen that pencil? I'm on trial for murder here. Well, what is your plan for my defense? Well, I started working as an attorney when you was 15 years old. I, why did you tell me that? Are, are you going to defend me or am I going to go to jail for murder? Okay, you can use this pencil. Pencil? Uh, there's like 20 pencils in front of you. Can I get a different lawyer? is paying for me to be here. Nothing's coming out of your pocket. So do you have any defense planned? I got a couple pencils. Well, I'm going to jail. This fall, learn what it's like to be the law and keep order. Suspenseful Cop Show. Hello, this is Karl Marx from Karl Marx Motors, and I have six parking lots full of automobiles that are priced to sell. Every car on Marx's lot is inspected, guaranteed, and completely invisible. Now, the uneducated among you would come to me and say, Karl, why would I buy an invisible car? My response to you is, who do you think you are? I know you are not the socialist man, the perfect man. If you're a man who wouldn't consider buying an invisible car, then we don't want you here. But come anyway, so we can kill you. Oh, Frederick just said I can't kill you. But come and we'll enslave you or something. Either way, the next four customers will receive a completely free car from me, Karl Marx. But don't expect the car because with Marx, you never get what you think you're getting. Yes, I realize I've lost my accent. Don't question that either. Just come buy my invisible cars. back on the adorable boy podcast um looks like potato said he would call and he did call and then he hung up and we tried to call him back a bunch of times but he wouldn't answer he's just a sweet little potato from Potatoville. i don't know i kind of lost my creativity there got a lot done today on the adorable boy podcast even me who some see as you know a god lowercase g of podcasting um even, you know, even I get tired sometimes, you know, I'm human, you know, maybe even more so than anyone else. But anyway, Taylor's supposed to call. He didn't, but we do have something to play for him. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to help him. I'm trying to help him make his life better. Really. That's all I'm doing. I, um, got a big project coming out soon. I think he's gonna hate it. Um, but it's really, it's the whole goal is to make him better. 
And one of the ways I'm going to make him better is by helping him to find a job. And this is just a, a, a humorous exchange that I had with uh, Mr. Potato and his buckets of fun. All right, so here it is. It is uh, the adorable boy and potato in Interview Skills. It has a title. It's weird. Most of my stuff doesn't have a title. This does. So here we go. Now, Potato, you simply must stop watching Star Wars movies and try to find some gainful employment. Hey, pussy. That isn't my name, Potato, and you know it. Come now, turn off the TV and let's discuss your future. What do you want to be? Uh, 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 Later. Uh. No, Potato. That has been your attitude for 60 years. Think of something you want to be and go from there. Arnold Schwarzenegger? Potato, you're an elderly man from Chicago, not an elderly man from Austria. Come now, you cannot be him. There must be something you want to do with the frighteningly small amount of time that is left before you enter the nursing home. Mr. Original Shock Jock? Well, you can't be the original Shock Jock. That's the adorable boys. I love that show. Have you heard OK Boomer? It's wonderful. Adorable pussy. Uh... Yes, yes, I know how mentioning his name gets your heart going. I'll make sure you get an extra shot of hemoglobin tonight. <sighs> oh, that must be the pie I ordered. Thank you, delivery person. Here's a generous tip. Now, Potato, I'm going to put this pie on the coffee table in front of you. You can't have a slice until we finish our practice interview. So as your life coach, let's pretend I am interviewing you for a job you want. I'll start by greeting you. Hello, Mr. Potato. Thank you for coming in. We are looking for a hard worker to fill this position. You can't even say my name. Uh... No, too hostile, Potato. A simple good to be here will do wonders for you. Now let's get to a typical interview question. What are four words that describe you? Pathetic, lisping, lame-ass coward. Now, Potato, you need better self-esteem. You don't want to lie, but make yourself sound better than you are. And don't use those words. Let's move on, Potato. What are your interests? Dick. Oh, Potato, this is not going to do it all. I'm beginning to think you will never find gainful employment. Now pick up that pie and let me have it. Potato, turn away from Star Wars and pick up the pie. Let me have it. Let me have it. Oh, Potato. You try and do something nice and that's how you get repaid. Ugh. Potato, you're lucky you're so much fun or I would, try to, I would stop trying to help you. And that's the truth. But you're just too much fun. Okay. Um, you know what? Vito was supposed to come in here and do his cooking segment. Uh, he apparently he went home sick. Um, and in honesty, this this cooking segment was going to be a punishment for him for his um, skullduggery. If that's, I don't know exactly what that word means. I've heard it and it sounds cool. So I mean like treachery, but I wanted to say skullduggery. So that's what I said. Um, so Vito, and 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 as a penance for his treachery or skullduggery uh i was gonna make him cook a boiled potato you know sim symbolic for how he worked with potato but he said he went home sick which you know 
the the veracity of that is in question, at least in my mind. So I guess this is a um, as good of a place to end. Oh, you know what? Wait a second. We um, Joe the Camel Boy actually did come and he came in by himself, and um, he wanted he said he wanted to say something. You can bring him right in. Yeah, just sit him down with the microphone. Hey Joe, how you doing, man? Yeah, good to see you, bro. Sit down, yeah. Put the uh, put the old cans on and pull up a microphone. What do you got to say, Joe? Uh, what, what can we do for you? Oh, that is big news, Joe. Okay, um, Joe is the is the head of the crazy crew, and he's saying that he has a an idea for a new member. I don't think we've had a new member of the crazy crew in eight nine years. All right, can you tell us? I mean, you want to tell us who it is, or you want it to be a surprise? Okay, I can respect that. Um, it's going to be someone we know, apparently. Um, it's going to be someone who he says is now worthy of being a part of the the cast of misfits that know that are known as the crazy crew. Um, and maybe he uh, is, is this guy or girl? I don't know. Um, are they going to come out and do uh, do appearances with you and stuff? Like, is that in the offing, possibly? Okay, well, color me excited. Wow. More in wow, what a what a great place to leave. It's what a great cliffhanger to leave the podcast off on. That's great. Thank you, Joe the Camel Boy. We'll see you, talk to you next week, see you next week, whatever it is. Um, awesome. Thank you. Thank you to the adorable boy Siples for always being there. Always being there for us. Uh, we really appreciate you. Couldn't do it without you. Wouldn't want to. We do it for you. So there we go. I am Spud, um, Frank and Beans, he's saying goodbye behind the glass. Vito's hopefully saying goodbye from home. Um, for all the interns, all the team, thank you again for helping us to fight kowtowing in all its forms. For helping us to be the podcast that not only that you need, but the podcast that you deserve. Again, thank you, and we will see you next week on the Adorable Boy Podcast.